learning to win and learning to lose and handle both with respect and dignity and honor is a good thing, you know? So these are good things you get from it, but what I see today, the downside of it is, is it stresses the parents out so much that it sort of catastrophically destroys their own health. When I started medical school or went through medical school, we were always taught that, you know, food doesn't really matter. Yep. You know, what you eat, it doesn't matter. As I've gone through 20 years of practice now, I find out that food really does matter. And we have a really cool um, dietary antigen test yep. that tests 88 specific allergens or the things people are most likely to be sensitive to. There was one thing that the people could really, really own. That would be the understanding of the power, the role, the duty, the responsibility, the authority of our states. I've been asked a few questions by parents recently as we've seen sports become more and more uh, in the lifestyles of children, which is great. But then I have parents asking me, you know, well, how much is too much? Um, how, how, how young is too young? What becomes the balance with parents and families? And, you know, they're going from not just cheer, they're going gymnastics and they got to play um pole vaulting and then they got to do track and baseball and you know the, the list goes on do you have any kind of idea or perspective on sports i mean you started baseball at a really young age oh yeah i think we should start kids at six months and have them on every sport forever and ever 24 7 <laughs> 365 and i think your whole work start should today. be spent on making money to pay for that no no really um i started i remember uh, playing t-ball, you know, and I was probably seven, something like that. And starting at that age is, is late today. I mean, today kids are starting at three, three or younger or younger. And then there's all this push or emphasis on it. And I can tell you this, you know, there's some benefits to that. And there's a lot of liabilities to that. And the liabilities, I don't think people think about, but benefits, obviously, you know, um, children being involved in team sports where it's not about you know, there, there's a dependence on you to do your job, and it's not all about you as a lone person. I think teamwork is good there. I think understanding that your coaches should be um, respected. In other words, people in authority, respect them. Um, and I think probably, too, uh, activity, you know, being better shaped today with – we've talked about this before with obesity in children being today, you know, like one in four – Yes, getting um, them moving is better than sitting at the TV or the you bet. Um, Xbox playing uh, without moving. Yeah, and I think learning to learning to win and learning to lose and handle both with respect and dignity and honor is a good thing, you know. So these are good things you get from it, but what I see today, the downside of it is is it stresses the parents out so much that it sort of catastrophically destroys their own health. I've seen that before. What am I supposed to do? I'm taking little Johnny, these things, and all I have is fast food. I'm thinking, well, you're creating that. It, what, what is that tone setting for little Johnny 
with little Johnny as he becomes um, Daddy Johnny and Husband Johnny, and what's he going to do with his kids or her kids? I mean, it becomes a problem over time. And how many people are, you know, get right down to it, are they doing that so that little Johnny gets a, um, an athletic scholarship or becomes professional? Because, look, that window is about that big. And one in, what, a million or something like that? It's like not effectively the best goal to have, although I appreciate what athletics has done in my life in helping me work through those things, those benefits. Today, I have a huge question about if that's wisdom to start your kids that early and if that's wisdom to let little kids do everything that they want to do. And because right now, we're not seeing that effectively play out towards good work product, right? The workforce, we're not seeing it uh, played out with good health either really today. So we definitely, when we're putting kids in sports, we want to maybe make sure they're doing one or two activities and not all of them. We want to make sure that it's likely not destroying the family unit. That's right. That we're not just running and gunning and not taking time as a family. It also sounds like the excessive amount of uh, engagement in activities for the young can destroy the nutritional intake of the young if we're just going through the drive-through to continue to get somebody to the next event without taking time for our health. Yeah, and I've seen this before, this story play out where, you know, the, the parents are split up. You know, you're taking them one way and I'm going in a different direction and we don't see each other except maybe in passing on a on a Sunday morning sometime. And I've watched the relationship between husband and wife get fragmented and destroyed by that. And I've seen this a lot too with little Johnny. I'm using little Johnny as an example. That little boy's busy and everything, by the way. We've He's busy. <laughs> He's a busy boy. You know, they're active and the the metabolism in a child is different from adults. So, you know, little kids eating fast food may not show physical effects of disease processes, although they're getting them earlier yeah. today. Um, but you're seeing the parents suffer. And they end up in our office and they're wondering, what do I do? Because I'm running, I'm stressed out, I'm not getting sleep, and their health is getting horrific. And we've seen that happen with men and women, haven't we? We, we certainly have. So I think the, the balance is, is choosing a couple, Yep. sports per child, making sure that uh, the parent's lifestyle stays intact, and making sure that the parents are able to help that trickle down to the child so the child doesn't actually end up burnt out. Well, and from a parent standpoint, and probably it goes into personal standpoint, um, there's benefit to saying yes, um, but there's equal benefit to saying no. And sometimes we say yes too much because we don't want to deal with uh, the backlash of saying no, and that's to our kids. But sometimes the greatest lesson they can learn is how to handle no. And no is the best answer many times. It doesn't need to be the right answer, but use a little bit of wisdom out there a little bit because ultimately if we're if we become chronic yesaholics, you know, which people are, that is a is a major subject that kids learn. They don't learn how to deal with disappointments. They don't learn how to deal with no. Any good father, any good mother is gonna learn how to say no appropriately. And if athletics or the cost they're in are, are just taking the the complete focus away from your family and health, um, learn to say no and find some balance there. So if you're a parent out there and you need to find some balance in your life, we'd be glad to help. You can find us on Sherwood.tv. That's right, Sherwood.tv. And we can show you the way 
maybe help you find that balance. When is too much too much for a child? Where do you put them? Which ones do you put them in? How do you find a healthy lifestyle for yourself as you're raising a family? We want to add life to your years and have health in your life. And when you navigate through these these economies with people, here's here's what happens. We want to hold their hand through it, let them know when it's time to buy, sell, reallocate, get out of Dodge. Because a lot of times when you're struck with fear, fear does two things. Number one, it can paralyze and, and people just put their head in the sand and say, I'm just going to forget about it and hopefully it gets better. Or it causes you to make a wrong decision. And this is why we are here, is to help people navigate through the political quagmire nonsense that's going on, the economic malaise and the absolute collapse that we're seeing. And when our freedoms are eroding, our political freedoms, our economic freedoms, our personal freedoms, our religious freedoms, our health freedoms, they're all tied together. But you know what doesn't need to erode with that? Our finances. Kirk Elliott, PhD.com forward slash Sherwood. There's a lot of talk these days about human enhancement. Terms like biohacking, bioharmonizing, biosynergizing, stacking, resilience, and anti-fragility. In our clinic, the Functional Medical Institute, we've been helping people of all shapes, sizes, and backgrounds improve their quality of their physiology and maximize their lives. So, you can follow the latest fads and gimmicks and maybe find some things that work for you. Or you can add kingdom fuel to your daily regimen right now. It's the simple start to a transformed life. Our unique meal shakes are balanced, low glycemic, rich in fiber with 20 grams of clean protein, essential vitamins and minerals, healthy fats and organic fruits and vegetables. Kingdom fuel is vegan with a complete amino acid profile. No gimmicks, just proven results. Start today at Sherwood.tv forward slash fuel. Hey there, Kevin Sorbo here. Now, deep down, we know this. We're, we're more than just a brain and a body. We're a spirit, we're a soul, and we're also a physical temple. If you hit the wall when you're trying to improve one aspect of your being, it's probably because, well, other aspects are sabotaging our success. So that's why diets don't work. And frankly, why so much conventional wisdom from our so-called medical establishments falls flat. Doctors Michelle and Mark Sherwood have a very different approach. I should know because I happen to be one of their patients. They address the whole person to get to know you, your challenges, and more importantly, what your goals are. Then they offer a complete plan that addresses your unique biology and your heart. They'll help you discover what you need to experience transformation. So find out more at Sherwood.tv slash Sorbo. That's Sherwood.tv slash Sorbo or see the link before. Now I'm heading for a workout. You should be going for a workout too. All right, guys. God bless. You know, in our practice, we do some really unique things that are kind of 
a little bit different than the mainstream medical practice, which the tests that they do are very good. Sometimes people need to dive a little bit deeper if they don't get their questions answers or their problems solved. Some mm. of the things that we do are um, things like micronutrient testing. You want to take people through what a micronutrient test is and how it might help? Yeah, so just backing up a little bit, like conventional medicine today is they're trying to answer the questions, what's wrong with me? So their tests are going to answer the question, do I have this or do I have that? Yes or no questions. And then, of course, it's a medication. Yeah. Functional medicine is really looking for why do I have those things? Therefore, how can I correct it upstream so I don't have those things, right? Tests like a micronutrient test are different from tests that you find in conventional medicine. Micronutrient actually looks inside of the blood, inside of specific uh, T lymphocytes, which are, those are white blood cells, right? So the blood has red blood cells and white blood cells and some other things. But the white blood cells are extracted from the blood, and we look inside of those white blood cells to see what nutrients are there. Now, that's a whole different question than what is floating in the blood. This is looking at what's inside the cell within the blood. So this has already got inside the body's cells. And so why is that important? It's because we eat things, we take things. The supplement industry today is $152 billion. $152 billion. That's a lot. People take it. I don't even know how many zeros that is, but that's that's like a bunch of zeros. But most of that stuff is not even absorbed because we think we can take all these things and just because we put them in our mouth, that means they get down to our cell level. But that's just not true. The, the best way to know if you've got something at cell level is to ask that question. Is to test. And that question is through micronutrient testing. So people should be doing that. if you're. It, it helps you streamline supplements a lot of times. It helps you streamline your nutrition a lot of times, too. That's right. Test don't guess. There's another test that we use that's really, really helped a lot of people. When I started medical school or went through medical school, we were always taught that, you know, food doesn't really matter. Yep. You know, what you eat, it doesn't matter. As I've gone through 20 years of practice now, I find out that food really does matter. People sometimes have sensitivities or allergies to spinach, or they have sensitivities Mm -hmm. or allergies to asparagus. And we have a really cool um, dietary antigen test that tests 88 specific allergens or the things people are most likely to be sensitive to. Can you talk about that one a little bit? Yeah. So that one is we take the top 88 foods that... We consume in America on average, and it runs them against your system, and it determines what your immune system does with that. And it's going to label that food nothing, an allergy, and a sensitivity, or either or, or both. And it's actually going to also determine the inflammatory load of that. People today, when they go down to conventional allergy testing, they don't delineate between those things. We do, which makes... It's hard for people if they develop a bunch of food allergies and sensitivities. They they come to us and they say, well, I was told I can't eat anything. Well, that's not really true. The dietary antigen test looks at what's the most inflammatory to you or me or you. And once we get there, we're able to, to withdraw that for a time, usually 45 to 90 days, and let the body heal itself. Now, this is a very important thing to understand. Most people are only born with this many allergies, not many. We develop them over time because of 
frequency of consumption or frequency of consumption of poor foods that create inflammation in the gut, which is a simple process that leads to leaky gut, and we'll get into that other time, but the bottom line is that inflammation in the gut creates a scenario where we get all these sensitivities. And I've heard people say as recently as two weeks ago, I'm allergic to vegetables. I'm like, what? No, you're not. Well, How does I that eat, happen? <laughs> I eat vegetables and I get sick. Well, well, okay, there's other things going on because God didn't make people allergic to his creation. That's stupid, right? But what does happen is we used to be hunter-gatherers and like artichoke or avocado or the peppers, those weren't available all the time. But today they are. You could eat that every day. You realize that? Every, every day. single day, in season or out of season. That is not our evolutionary process, right? And because of that, we get all these sensitivities created. So that's why that test, dietary antigen, is so amazing. So people are out there struggling with food uh, responsiveness and leaky gut and autoimmune conditions. That's a great test to do. Also, a lot of times people come in, they've got IBS, um, gas, bloating, re uh, esophageal reflux. They, yeah. they, instead of taking a pill, we look at stool testing to we perhaps do. see what else is there. You know, what is the enzyme deficiency from the pancreas? We can see that through, through stool. We can see, are there uh, bacteria that shouldn't be there? Is the gut microbiome balanced? Does it have the right... Uh, amount of flora that's there are there any parasites or worms or things that people have picked up through travel that mm. are causing some of these systemic symptoms so moving into some specialty testing sometimes yeah. is a really great way to give people the pathway to navigate and not just guess or label themselves with some sort of syndrome or disease and take a medication for something that's actually really there and needs to be treated. Yeah, with stool testing, this is a great conversation because like with you think about this from conventional medicine, they're asking, do I have that bacteria? And the way we do stool testing, for example, is we're looking for a bunch of different things. So it gives you a broad sense of information. I mean, there is a ton of different tests, and we just touched on three, micronutrient, dietary antigen, and stool testing. I mean, we do a whole bunch more of those things like that. But you get the idea. If you're looking for the root cause of disease processes, what causes these symptoms and what leads to diseases, that's why these functional medicine tests are critically important. So... Um, look us up, Sherwood.tv, and um, we'll get you squared away with the right test to answer the right questions at the right times to get you well. What does our Constitution really mean, and how do we interpret it? Find out next with our constitutional attorney expert, Chris Ann Hall. Let's get real. Most emergency food is just as bad for you as any other choice in the standard American diet, and that's just sad. We don't just need food. We need highly nutritional food. We don't just want to survive food shortages. We are meant to thrive in adversity. Complete your daily nutrition and have shelf-stable kingdom fuel as a cornerstone of your food supply. Don't sacrifice your health or your taste buds. Stock up on kingdom fuel now. And when you navigate through these, these economies with people, here's, here's what happens. We want to hold their hand through it, let them know when it's time to buy, sell, reallocate, get out of Dodge. Because a lot of times when you're struck with fear, fear does two things. Number one, it can paralyze. 
and, and people just put their head in the sand and say, I'm just gonna forget about it and hopefully it gets better. Or it causes you to make a wrong decision. And this is why we are here is to help people navigate through the political quagmire nonsense that's going on, the economic malaise and the absolute collapse that we're seeing. And when our freedoms are eroding, our political freedoms, our economic freedoms, our personal freedoms, our religious freedoms, our health freedoms, they're all tied together. But you know what doesn't need to erode with that? Our finances. Kirk Elliott, PhD.com forward slash Sherwood. Michelle, I'd love to work here. Do you have what it takes to be a champion? Yes, master, I do. Ah! We need to get you more competition. Nationals? And finally, the Olympic Team Selection Tournament. Did somebody try to hurt you again? She's working on being a homeless Olympic champion. And now she has somebody footing the bill for college so she can become a doctor. We have to pray on the list so that in all of God's glory, each item on the list will come to a fruitful and gratifying beginning. You know, people often ask me, what has been the most destructive lie the American people have been taught about the federal government and the U.S. Constitution? Now, Doc, you and I have talked about this on a previous segment, but it really boils down to the lie that the supremacy clause in the Constitution establishes that the federal government and federal laws are superior to state laws and state constitution. Now, our previous segment went into detail and explained how that is absolutely not true. And just a simple reading of Article 6, Clause 2, which is the Supremacy Clause, proves that. But you see, with that deception that has really infested the minds and politics of American government. We have had a falling away of the understanding of governors and attorneys general and even the people of their states of the power and the duty and the responsibility of the state to stand against the exercise of unauthorized federal power. And if there was one thing that I want the American people to really know today, if there was one thing that the American people could know that would change the whole dynamic, I'm not usually a one thing person, right? Because I understand that life is multifaceted and there are many solutions to a single problem and there are complications and details that need to be worked out. So I'm never really a one thing person, but in this situation, there was one thing that the people could really 
really own. That would be the understanding of the power, the role, the duty, the responsibility, the authority of our states to say to the federal government, I'm sorry, that con- the Constitution does not authorize the exercise of that power, and we will not comply. And so in that authority, we have a solution to nearly every single federal problem that we see today. The ATF gun grab. States actually have the authority and the duty to say no. We're not going to let you enforce those laws in our state because there's no authority for you to govern what we sell and how our people uh, keep and bear arms within our states. There's no authority for you for that. No, we're not going to let your Environmental Protection Agency come in and rule and reign over our land. And by the way, the FDA and the USDA Sorry, we don't find that authority in the Constitution. Because remember, we're the states that created the federal government. We're the creators of the federal government. And as the creators of the federal government, we have the authority to say, you know what? We didn't create you with that power. So that power does not exist uh, to be authorized in our state. Not only are we not going to help you uh, exercise that power, but we're not going to let you exercise that power on our people. The Department of Education, the Department of Interior, the Department of Ag, the uh, the, uh, Forestry Service, all of these organizations are extra constitutional. And according to Article 6, Clause 2, if their power is not exercised pursuant to the Constitution, the power is null and void. And what the American people and our governors and our attorneys general need to understand is that applies to the judiciary as well. The Supreme Court's authority is limited and defined by Article 3. The the Supreme Court and federal court authority is limited and defined by the powers delegated to the federal government. So if the power, the authority, is not delegated to the federal government, the federal judiciary doesn't have jurisdiction over the matter. So if there is no authority for uh, delegated to the federal government to rule and reign over uh, what we eat, what we drink, what we smoke, what we ingest, what we wear, what we buy, what we sell, how we live, how do we use our resources in our states, all these things that happen internally in the state, then the Supreme Court has no jurisdiction over those matters either. So we have to understand and we really have to own this that our states not only have an authority, they have a responsibility to say no. And we have this information documented for you in our book, Sovereign Duty. Have this information documented for you in a film we call Non-Compliant Movie that can be found at noncompliantmovie.com. And we wanna help you know this because all political powers derive from the people and the people have to stand for the proper application of their constitution in order to defend their rights. So I'm thank you, Doc, for letting me bring this information to the people. 
Uh, there are many ways to come to this understanding. We want to help you with some of them. But that's the one thing I wish everybody would know right now. Uh -huh.